This is episode six of the Sales Change Podcast, and this is the one with Paul Kincaid. So from his website, Paul Kincaid is a unique leadership specialist. He's an executive coach, a coach trainer, and he's also a mental health first aid instructor. He's got a deep passion for enabling others to recognize and achieve their own potential. On this episode, Paul and I talk about good leadership, bad leadership, and everything in between. And we also talk about how he's coped with the COVID period, what the future looks like for selfless leadership group. And of course, we talk about the self-change five questions. Remember, if you want more information on the podcast, visit www.saleschange.co.uk forward slash podcast. Sign up to the newsletter. You'll get it in your inbox every Monday morning at 9.45. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Paul. Welcome to the Sales Change Podcast. How are you, my friend? Yeah, I'm good, Matt. Thanks very much for having me here. That's all right. That's all right. So how's things at the moment? They're all right. Yeah, do you know they're okay? We used the COVID lockdown as an opportunity to look, look in on ourselves and see what had gone well over the past three years and how we can get more of that moving forward. So we've taken it as an opportunity. So for the listeners who don't know, tell us a bit about you and what you do now. Yeah, so uh, I, I run a, a company called Selfless Leadership, which is based in Poole. Uh, we work nationwide, in fact, we work internationally, uh, and we do exactly what the name suggests. You know, we develop leaders at every level across the full spectrum of leadership from first-time line manager all the way up to C-suite and potential C-suite execs uh, across the full range of functions of leadership. So, we, you know, from mental health training all the way through to planning, strategy, you know, and how to get the best of your people during challenging times and steady state. And where's your experience come from, Paul? I know the answer, but... <laughs> <laughs> you do. Um, well, I spent 20 years in the British Army from 97 to 2017 as an officer and I went around the world seeing how to get the best of people um, through various different lenses. And some of that was also how bad leadership impacts people. So there's lessons to be learned through bad experiences as well. I joined the army in 98. I was just looking up on the wall there because I've got a huge, I don't know if the viewers can see this, if I swing my camera around, I've got my a huge army picture up in my office there. And I joined as an apprentice in 98 and I left probably nine years later. So I know what the leadership was like when I joined in 98. It was a little bit more, let's say, rugged than it, than it probably is now. Uh, less touchy-feely, more boot up the arse. Was that your experience when you... Did you go straight to Sandhurst? I, I did, yeah. And, and there were elements there that were um, quite brutal, let's be honest, because it, it, it marks a change between being a civilian and being a soldier. And sometimes you've got to respond unquestioningly when told to do something. But... I suspect you probably saw it over your service as well, that those those times became fewer and further between, especially after training. Yeah, Actually, when you're out there doing the business, it, it is about teamwork. It's about interacting together, collaborating to get the best result for everybody um, concerned, be those the soldiers involved or the Indigenous people of the area we're operating in. I mean, when I joined the Army, one of the main drills that was in the basic training, and this is what I always remember, is we used to tidy our rooms hospital corners on the beds, that type of stuff, making sure everything was shipshape, And then the, the director and stuff, the DS would go in and just trash the room, completely trash it, uh, throw everything everywhere. And then you'd have 
and a ridiculously short amount of time in order to get it all back into order and that and that was the most frustrating thing it was impossible to get it in perfect order so you knew you were going to be even even worse trouble after you'd tried to tidy it in inverted commas but then when my brother joined maybe four years after i joined they were allowed duvets no hospital corners uh the ds were a little bit softer on them if they didn't fancy running uh on a particular day then they'd reschedule it and have a different activity it was a little bit more softer but he stayed in longer than me so i don't know whether that experience meant that he he enjoyed it more but yeah the army the reason i left the army was because it got a little bit too much in terms of family life i was going away six months coming back for six months and uh, that just didn't fit with who i am today and but i met up with one of my friends who's still in still in he's working under the chief of defense and he's a major and he's working out of whitehall and he loves it and him and i were like peas in a pod during basic training and honestly really? when we met up we met up last week this is a completely off piste and off topic but we met up last week and we sat in a in the in and out club in london the, the military club and we had some lunch and it, it was like nothing had happened but i haven't seen this guy for 22 years yeah. uh, and now we just want to meet up and have a few beers and, and make sure that we can really put the world to rights but that's what that's what the army brings you isn't it it's that sense of belonging and that sense of family yeah, it does. You know, you, you build and forge relationships that I believe are stronger than, than anywhere else because of, you know, sometimes it's because of hardship and experiences that you share together. And other times it's because of the great times that you share together. But but they are you know, really good, long lasting. I'm still in touch with a load of guys I lived in the officers mess with back in, what was that, 2000. And we regularly meet up, have a couple of beers, you know, have a chat and, and put the world to rights and attend one another, you know, the christening of one another's children, the weddings, the, you know, various different family activities. It's great. I mean, I'm probably the most non-military person now. Uh, and you can see my hair on the video is completely <laughs> wayward. So I'm probably the most, most non-military person. And you'll get to this stage, Paul. I, I fully, I fully, yeah, I think you'll grow your hair long. I think you'll grow a beard. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think you'll embrace civilian life. But, if only I could grow facial hair, you'd be quite right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing I miss, though, is is the camaraderie and, and just being around. I was saying to my wife the other day, that lads, lads, lads culture, but it's not lad, lads, lads, lads. It's just like you're in this together and it's all. And I think that's what I've been searching for my entire career, really, is trying to find somewhere where I can build that, build that team and build that family unit around me so that I support them and they support me. You know, I think more than lads, 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 it's team, 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 isn't it? You know, it yeah. is that group of like-minded people who have got one job to do. You go out, you work hard, you get it done, you come back and you have a play. Yeah, exactly that. So what did you take away from the military career apart from an aspiration to become the leader of a leadership company? <laughs> aspiration to become Mr. <laughs> yeah, that was um, it. <laughs> no, no. Do you know, I, I think the three sort of big takeaways, one one is a, is a bit of a cheaty one. It's sort of 1A and 1B, which is the ability to problem solve and the ability to plan. Um, you know, a huge amount of money is invested in, in training to do that because you know, it's how the military succeeds is on strategizing, planning well, um, yeah. planning in an agile way to, to overcome adversaries. And, and, and the same is true in business, although not adversaries, competitors and market and, you know, with the current thing acts of god how did you cope with that when that first started paul sorry to interrupt how did you cope because no not too bad because it was it was almost similar to being on an operational tour it was just a case of right okay a a lot of freedoms now can't happen 
So fair enough. Let's you know do do the bootlaces up a little bit tighter, and then focus on what we can do. Adapt, so, to improvise, and overcome. Yeah, I think you know there were a lot of constraints imposed, but but people focused on those rather than the freedoms that we still had, which were to think, to enjoy some time with family, and, and get stuck into planning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had one A or one B. Sorry, I interrupted you about your three. Yeah, takeaways. no, no problem. The second one was mindset, and it, it basically a determination to to go and get the job done. Um, no matter what hurdles are put in front of you, the job needs to be done. The, the end state needs to be achieved. So whatever gets in your way, let's work out a way of getting around it, through it, under it, over it. Like that, kids, we're going on a bear hunt, isn't it? You've got to get over <laughs> yeah, yeah. it, round it, through it. <laughs> yeah, my, my uh, kids I'm love that. Say the third one is, is people, you know, how to get the best from them. I, I saw great leaders, I saw bad leaders all over the world and, uh, and determine the impact that they were having on people. And, you know, it's in the worst of times that you see the best of people and how to get the best from them in those times as well. And, and that's why I now do what I do, which is to help other people get the best from their people. How do you do that? What process do you go through? I don't want you to give away your trade secrets. but no, no, it's, <laughs> it's really quite simple. And the central line is, is leading from a position of care. You yeah. care about your people and you demonstrate you care about them. Well, then that will be reciprocated and people will dig out and go the extra mile to get the job done. I think that's what that's what's missing in today's society and today's business world is leaders care about profit, they care about cash flow, they care about they care about the environment that people work in, but they don't necessarily care about the people. And immediately when COVID hit, all of my staff, I could tell there was a sense of apprehension. There was a sense that actually I'm worried. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my livelihood. I'm worried about how I'm going to cope if if and when I get made redundant. So my mission immediately as a leader was to firstly reassure them and make sure that, that they understood, actually, we've reviewed the cash flow, we've reviewed yeah. the business, and for the next six months at least, everybody's got a job. And I made that perfectly clear that come rain or shine, whether we close the building or not, we have enough cash reserves in order to keep everybody in a, in a job for six months. But what I then did was communicate that on a daily basis and not not repeatedly going into somebody's office and saying you still have a job today like on some <laughs> some power trip uh, but i just pretty quick. <laughs> but i just i made sure that people knew that i still cared and that i was still listening to them uh, because it's when you've got the people behind you and and it's what you said before when you you find out the the best of people in the worst of moments and this was a this was a torrid time. This is the first time I've ever been, ever been in this position, and I'm I'm sure loads of other business leaders have felt the same. This is unprecedented. <laughs> that word that has been bounded around uh, countless amount. Yeah. yeah, but it is. It's like I've I've worked through recessions. This isn't this isn't a recession that is um that is like it's an instant recession. This yeah. was a recession which wasn't forecast. It was a complete bomb, yeah. which just. For you and I, I mean, when my wife was my wife was catastrophizing at the very start of COVID because she's not been that, in that position where things happen at a rapid rate of knots and you're not able to see what the end goal is. Yeah. It doesn't matter to me if I can't see the end goal, but as long as we move from point A to B on a daily basis, then we're we're in the right space. Yeah. Over the last couple of months, Paul, have you worked with business leaders to support them through this period as well? Yes. Has it been has it been an upturn in business for you because of because of the issues with leadership? 
I wouldn't say it's been an upturn. It's been a slight change in focus. Um, so we've had to turn a couple of things off because we can't do face-to-face um, because people have appreciated that the leadership training needs doing. And in, in that space, we've done an awful lot of mentoring, coaching, and helping companies to really think through the planning process of how they recover from this crisis. Um, and we've done a lot of actually contemplating failure. You know, lots of people, when they plan, don't consider failure up front. And, and we do that, actively consider failure in order that the, the resultant plan is stronger and can mitigate against those failure scenarios that we might come up with. Did you do that for your own company? Uh, yeah, I did. Yes. But I, I went away for, for a couple of days and actually said, right, you know, what can we do in, in order to move forward? And it was, right, let's just turn off the face-to-face training. That's not happening for some time. Get in yeah. touch with the clients, tell them that we're turning it off, but you know we, we are committed to delivering it. And if they want it done online, we can do that or we can postpone and do it face-to-face because there are certain advantages over both mechanisms. How did that feel? Uh, it, it was a bit of pill to swallow. To be honest, it was it was a you know a bit of a brave pill. Put your pants on the outside uh, and say it. Yeah, but yeah. I think that that transparency, that communication, and and also that element of vulnerability helped to because other people vicariously get permission to go. Do you know what we're in a bit of a state as well? So yeah. it, you know, if our leadership guy is saying, do you know what we don't know what's going on at the moment, so we're turning things off, but we can offer you the following then I think it gave them permission to say, well, we're not really sure what's going on either. So we went back to basics, you know, like a SWOT analysis, looking at the current current situation and, and what, how we maximise the opportunities and minimise the threats. So you're being quite transparent and open here, and you were obviously transparent and open with your clients throughout that period. Do you think that that's a key fundamental in being an effective leader? Is that open and honest transparency, regardless yeah. of the message? Regardless of the message, yeah, I, th- I think it is um, because it, it's incredibly powerful. When when one person turns to another and says, Do "You know what? I don't really, I'm, I don't really know the way out of this. What are your ideas?" That is incredibly empowering for a team, for a leader to say that. And as a result, and you've seen it as well, they're, they're likely to step closer to you rather than go, "Oh, this guy hasn't got a clue what he's talking about." Let's turn our back. They're yeah. likely to put their arm around you and say, "Well, do you know what? Let's have a think." And of course, the leader's role within that is to say, I don't know what to do here. So this is what we are going to do. We're going to get in one room or, or in a Zoom Zoom room and have a think and a chat about options we've got. I will then go away and work out what the best option is and we'll take that as a plan. Yeah, that's and that's how I've run my career. Since I left the army, that's essentially how I've succeeded and gone from point A to point B. And I'm talking point A being five years ago when I was on less than £20,000 a year to the position I'm in now, which is running an international company. How I leveled up between those five years is actually just open and honest transparency. And it's funny because I had an article written about me and you've met Andrew Dipros from Dorset Business News. And he asked me a question um, during the interview because I said about open and honest transparency and I said that this was a key fundamental and it was a core belief of mine. And he asked me a question, he said, if you were in a banking situation, uh, would you expect the leaders of the bank to be as open and transparent? So if their forecasts and numbers weren't right. And it got me thinking because I was wondering whether you felt the same, but does it work in every industry, that open and honest transparency? Or is it limited? I would say I, I think it works in all industries because you as the leaders, the senior leadership team or whatever you want to call them, you don't have the monopoly on good ideas. 
So if you're truly transparent about, listen, there's a risk uh, approaching and we're not really sure how we're going to get over it and the numbers don't look great. It might be, you know, Sarah in programming or Matt in, in manufacturing who comes up with the idea and says, well, why don't we do this? I worked in a place before who had the similar scenario and we did this and it worked. So, so why not? Now, of course, if there are elements that are incredibly sensitive through, you know, data or, or shareholders, for example, or, or orders or client confidentiality, then that's a slightly different story. But in terms of leadership in the round uh, and where the company is heading, yeah, all organizations should be transparent. That's what Matthew Syed's book is about as well. Black box thinking is about transparency in one industry and, and not transparency in another. And why one is going, you've got it there, look. There you there go. You go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's almost like we had it planned. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I got I got bought this book. I got bought this book and I'm showing it to the viewers of the podcast rather than the the audio listeners. But I got bought this book when I left my last company because I'm I'm a huge book fan, as you can see from the bookshelf behind me. And I get a lot of knowledge from books. But I got bought this book by a boss of mine who is one of the testimonials on my website who said that I severely impacted his sales team, but for the positive, because I opened up the potential of possibility. And when you open up the realm of possibility to teams, it just, there's unending growth because there's, if you're, and this goes back to the fixed and growth mindset, but if you're working from a fixed mindset in that this is all we can achieve, then there's nothing that you, you're limited. But I, he bought me this because this resonated with him in the way that I lead and, and, and I lead through sales. Because when there is a, an abundance of possibility, there is an abundance of sales. Yeah. It's a fantastic book. Yeah, I recommend it's it. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Really eye-opening. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what about poor leadership, Paul? What scenarios have you been in where there's been poor leadership? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, generally, it's when ego and pride get in the way. You know, yeah. some, someone puts themselves on a pedestal and, and doesn't want to be knocked off or they're not as good as they think they are. And therefore, there's a lot of protectionism over information. I'm seeing that a lot in industry at the moment at quite senior levels is that, you know, if, if, if I'm Paul and I'm in this in the boardroom and, and I tell Matt everything I know, well, Matt might do the job better than me. So I better not share all the information. It's the sorcerer's apprentice. Yeah, that, that kind of thing. Um but, you know, in order to, to flip that question on its head, you can learn a huge amount from bad experiences. You really can. You know, where, where people leave what I call the red trace on you, that's something whereby you say, you know what, I don't know what type of leader I'm going to be in the future, but I just know I'm not going to do it the way that guy just did or that girl just did. Um, yeah. And that's a red trace, and they stay with you, and you can learn huge amounts through not doing what they do. Oh, uh, yeah. I could give countless countless scenarios uh, and I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before I think I told it to my mate who I was went to lunch with last week but I was in the Falkland Islands and I was yeah. I was serving as a corporal and uh, for a good period of that I was presenting radio for BFBS whilst I was out there for seven months and obviously BFBS have officer status when they're because they're civilians so they can go in the officer's mess and come out as, as they please corporals on the other hand are not allowed into the officer's mess they're also not allowed in the sergeant's mess so for one evening I got invited out and we went into the officer's mess and I sat in the corner with all of my civilian friends and not a word was said. And then probably about two weeks later, I got invited into the sergeant's mess, which is a completely different ball game. Yes, it is. And I remember being in the corner and saying to all of my civilian friends saying, please don't raise the alarm because my 
Sergeant Major's over there, and if he finds out that I'm in here, then I'm going to have my head kicked in. <laughs> uh, to which point, it was karaoke night. So they then put my name forward for karaoke. Oh, no. But my name and rank. So it was Corporal King. Uh, is, is Corporal King in the room? Uh, to which point, my Sergeant Major jumped up, ran across the room towards me, and booted me out. But it was it was the then subsequent next few days, which really, I think, soured the taste and... and just caused me to because he was inviting other corporals into the into the sergeant's mess so it was like a a pot kettle black so do as i say not as i do scenario which instantly erodes trust and instantly gives you a sense that this is crap and it's just so old school you know i mean one of the biggest frustrations i face in doing leadership outside of the military now is people say oh the, the army style of leadership won't work here all that shouting and ordering well I didn't do it when I was serving. I certainly don't do it now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's those old approaches to leadership. And, and by old, what do we mean? You know, even pre-COVID, COVID has changed the way we have to lead people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because we, we've got to do things from a position of care. It put mental health firmly in the center of the agenda as well. And we as leaders have had to focus on our people much more so than the bottom line during this crisis. Yes, the bottom line is important, critically so, because without a decent, healthy bottom line, we can't afford people. But we've had to focus in on the people. And, and ironically, through, through Zoom and the type of call you and I are doing now, through being apart, we've got closer together. We've found things out about people that we work yeah. with that we would never have found out in the office. And we yeah. can't unknow that. So, so now we can use it in order to be better, to lead better. That's fundamentally what I've changed. So in April, when uh, we went into lockdown and uh, I was spending a lot more time at home and I was thinking, what can I do in order to continue networking, in, in order to continue to showcase what I can do? What can I do in order to bring people closer to me? So I started an Instagram page for the company. I started posting more on LinkedIn. I've just started a weekly vlog. So there's people that can actually come into my life and see what I do on a daily basis. And I've started posting that on YouTube. So it's it's shifted my focus away from in-person meetings and getting out to the local chamber and doing all this sort of handshaky stuff, which is all very nice. But I want people to be able to come into my life whenever they want, rather than that event being forced upon them. So it, it shifted my focus in order to create content and, and go down that path rather than I mean, we I did a first my first exhibition last week post COVID, yeah. So it was desktop exhibition, plastic screen in front of me, uh, and it was more like speed dating. So the people were being ushered around the room and introduced sure. and put on the table, which was fine. But you can't. It's it's exactly the same as doing it on a screen because you're talking at a plastic screen that they, they can't handle any of the products, they can't see any of the catalogs, they can't see your business card, so. You could run those events now, I think, through Zoom. And I know a, f- a few online events which are hugely successful and or offline events. So you were the media in uh, Mark Masters. He yeah. shifted his offline events straight to online, but that's because he had the audience to do it. Mm. I think we're going to see there's lots of businesses that came out of the last recession, WhatsApp being one of them, Instagram and all those types. I think we're going to see some new COVID business babies which have shifted zoom being one of them i mean who's who thought we'd use zoom in the yeah. way it is there were, you know in, in my industry the coaching is quite uh, you know, quite high activity yeah people were 
you know, trying not to coach over Zoom, you know, and Skype and things like that and, and do it face to face. Well, actually, the ben- you can you can achieve just the same sort of benefit, you know, and, and a good I can even tell if you're tapping your foot on a Zoom call because the rest of your body moves and, and then I can ask you questions about it. You I'm know, not tapping my foot. No, you're not. <laughs> uh, no, it's funny because we had Victor Antonio on episode two, uh, who's a sales coach out of the US. And he said that as soon as COVID hit, all of his speaking gigs were cancelled and all yeah. of his training seminars were cancelled. But what he did was immediately invested all the cash that he had in a uh, modern studio with a screen, with uh, switch camera switches, so it became a media event for the people that were coming onto his channel. And his channel on the YouTube is now like 175,000 people. But that's a way that, I hate the word pivot, but the, that's the way he pivoted to yeah. become insulated away from the COVID effect, if you like. Yeah. And, and, and there are a number of companies who did that really well. You know, I'm, I'm speaking at an event for an accountancy firm based in Southampton, but it's speaking like this. The benefit yeah. of that is if some of their clients can't make the black tie dinner that it was going to be, well, then they, can you hear my dog? Having a <laughs> I, can, I can hear your dog. That's <laughs> What's your dog's name? It's Rocco. He's a seven-month-old Ridgeback, and he's oh. outside the door. His mum's left him for five minutes, and now he's home. <laughs> I won't bring him in. He'll trash the place. No, no, it's fine. So... Yeah, but the beauty of, of doing it over this is, like you have, you can press record and then you can send it out to a much wider client base. Yeah, my strategy for the podcast when I first started, maybe, well, I, my first episode was February this year. And my main strategy was local business leaders and, yeah. and keeping it Dorset-centric. But what I've found is, as soon as COVID hit, my first interview was with Jamie Alderton, who's a social media star, 150,000 followers on, on Instagram. Then I interviewed James Sinclair, Joseph Valente, the BBC Apprentice winner. These are people that I couldn't have got into the studio. So immediately I took some time off because I was recording week by week and I was doing, let's say we're recording this now, this would then go out on the Monday. So it was was a huge labour-intensive activity. But what I've done now, when the podcast actually launches for us on Monday coming, the 14th of September, you're going to be six weeks down the line. So I've got plenty of time in order to have the audio edited. This has given me the opportunity to plan in advance. Yeah. And I've got, I've, I think, 75% of my guests are from the United States. I'm recording an episode on Wednesday, actually, with Mark Hunter, who's a, another sales coach out of the US. Honestly, it's given me so much more opportunity, yeah. this, from a business perspective as well. For my day job, what's happened is the, the meetings that I would have had in the United States, for example are now Zoom's meetings. So last Wednesday, we had a meeting with a client in New York. This Wednesday, we've got another meeting with a client in New York. It's just widened the opportunity. And, and it costs so much. It's 30 quid a month, I think, for the pro membership of Zoom. So yeah, much cheaper than a flight to New York. <laughs> the, the impact on the climate is, is much more enhanced. I mean, yeah, we don't get to do the trips anymore, which we might have looked forward to. But I'm sure there's still opportunity there occasionally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's been the biggest challenge since you started your business? And I'm not talking COVID. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you know, it was just getting me out there because I haven't come from a making profit business background. You know what it's like, you know, in, 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 in a non-profit organisation, the, the salary comes in at the end of the month, whether you've done a good job or not, frankly. Yeah. And, and so the bills were being paid. And, and, and I loved my job in the military. Don't get me wrong. Um, I absolutely loved it. But when I came out, I wasn't used to having to market, having to you know network and, and, and do all that kind of stuff. Year one was great because I looked up the people who said, oh, when you, when you leave, look me up. So I did. Um, yeah. And that went really well. And it actually almost went too well. 
because it forced me into a position of naivety and complacency of, oh, this is easy, this running your own business lark. <laughs> and then year two happened when I realised, oh, actually, this is quite challenging. Um, so the biggest mistake, I think, was, or the biggest challenge was was learning to put myself out there a bit more and, and be the face of the business. And, and now I find myself doing things like this, which is putting me out there a little bit. Do you find self-promotion uncomfortable? Yes, desperately uncomfortable. Is that because of your army background? Because when I I I love self promotion and I I love building my own brand. You've probably seen that on my social media channels. But I I love being the front and center of my brand, and I love being and 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 this goes way back before sales change. Before sales change, I was whichever company I was in, I wanted to be the face. I wanted to be the spokesperson. I wanted to be the person that people knew. Ah, that guy works for there. Now I want people to say, Oh, that's Matt. He does the podcast, or that's Matt. He is a sales coach. So it's never been an issue for me. Mm-hmm. Do you think it stemmed from your military background that you wanted yeah, to blend in? Yeah, well, not necessarily blend in, but, you know, certainly in the officer cohort, it's unpalatable to self-publicize, deeply unpalatable. You know, if your team is doing well, ergo, you're a good leader. So that yeah. will speak for itself. The results speak for itself. If you start shouting how great you are, it, it generally means you're probably not. Um yeah. So uh, I think it's a bit of baggage that I carried on with me. I'm getting much, much better at it now. You know, I'm doing things like this. But yeah, I'm getting much better. And I've got people on board this year. As a result of COVID, we have grown. Um, and I've got some associates coming on board. And I mean, some of your listeners might think, well, that so what? But instead of talking about I, I can now justifiably talk about we. Yeah. And I lead teams incredibly well. So Put me up on a stage and I'll tell you everything about we. Ask me about I and I'm going to struggle. Yeah. And that's one thing that's probably switched for me. When I lead, I want people to know that I, so that they have that empathy and they understand, oh, this is this guy's a family guy. He's struggling with this. So it's, it's very important for people to buy into the I so yes. that I can build a we, which is a, which is a clear distinction from what you just said, which is you're able to talk about the we because that's what you do and that's how you facilitate. But it's very difficult for you to verbalise the I. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, I do. Um, but I guess in, you know, by talking about it to people like yourself on, on you know, media like this, then I guess yeah. I am allowing people to get closer to me. I'm, I'm getting much better at it and sharing my story. Um, but also, you know, th- there is a perception around military people that it appeals to a certain grouping and not others. So actually telling her I used to be an army commando colonel, it doesn't it doesn't resonate with a lot of people. And actually a lot of those people are in my ideal client set. I think the difference, and this is perception for me, when you distinguish between confidence and arrogance, yeah. that's where the message changes. Because I'm very confident. I can talk about all the results that I've achieved, but I'm not going out. I don't specifically post on social media to say, this is the result that I've had. This is how I've done this. I'm very confident in the fact that I've achieved these results and I am able to, like you said, I know I'm a fucking good leader. I can lead. I know that I can lead. But I think it's the telling people that you're a good leader. You just need to show them. Yes, agreed. You just need to show them. And that's the message for the podcast, I think. Don't tell people you're a good leader. Show them. Just lead. Just get on with it and lead. Just lead. 
Uh, so we're just coming up to the end of the podcast, Paul. And what we do on every single episode is ask the f- same five questions. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to leave the leader one to the very last because uh, that would be interesting from you. So okay. the first question is, what was the last book that you read? Uh, I'm a bit boring, actually. I don't read that many sort of fiction books. The last book I read was actually The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. talks about how to get organizational health into organizations. I don't read. I don't read fiction books at all. Uh, well, I tell a lie. Jack Reacher novels are probably the only fiction that I would read, but everything else is non-fiction. Yeah, same. I don't really get the time. When I do, I prefer to switch off and not read because I've been reading a screen for quite a lot of the time. I'd prefer Netflix over a fiction book any day. Yeah, same. Uh, what's the worst sales mistake you've ever made? I think you probably covered this. No, no, I'm not sure I have. <laughs> <laughs> um, the worst sales mistake I made was... Uh, I. I got approached by a friend of mine who we were in sixth form together. He was the MD of a small construction company uh, and said, look, we really want some leadership training being done uh, and you're the man to do it. Can you come down and have a chat to the site managers, et cetera, et cetera. So I did all that, did all the prep work and, and it was on. It was on for this early part of this year and then COVID happened and it all of a sudden wasn't on. The directors of the company decided to get rid of the managing director. Wow. And now I'm currently fighting very hard to try and get that leadership program implemented. But the biggest mistake was I didn't get enough of it in writing because it was a mate of mine who was the MD and it was just going to happen. It was nailed on. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And now all of a sudden it's not nailed. It's like trying to nail jelly to a tree. They are wriggling. I can honestly say I think that leadership program, which is not an insubstantial amount of money, is now not going to happen because they're swerving so much. In a sense, that's probably why they need it. <laughs> exactly. You know what? You're absolutely right because you can see the, the behaviours that are being put out. You think, God, you don't. It's not your site manager who needs leadership training. It's your directors. It's top down. Do you think you can affect leadership from the bottom up? Uh, you can do, but it's very, very challenging. Yeah. Um, you, you know, in order to affect leadership from the bottom up, you've got to have a, an open mind at the top. If yeah. You've got a closed mind at the top. No. I think that's why I left my job, not the one, but the one but last, because I was a fairly, and again, this goes down to confidence and arrogance again, but I was a fairly big fish, but I was in a very big pond. So I couldn't, I could, there was a, a natural ceiling and the boss at the top was a bit of a knob. And regardless of what I was doing, anybody who was successful was a threat to his position because he was the sales director. And that's, that's the position I essentially wanted to get into. I wanted to get onto the board and become a director. Uh, so I had to leave in order to get above that ceiling and, and, and continue my career trajectory. But yeah, he was just a knob. It's End a of story. Around, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, you could, you can have the, if you've got a closed mind at the top, you are not going to affect change from the bottom up. Simple yeah. As yeah. He, and, and that's where I think the, the business was stagnating at that point yeah. because he was closed and, and there was no any decent leader and I've known I know three or four people that have left the company both before me and after me who have gone on to be managing directors general managers like me so there was the potential there but yeah. the potential just wasn't realised by this leader at the top yeah you uh, see it all the time people getting promoted out of trouble and find more yeah the same happens in the army <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> um, what did you want to be when you grew up, Paul? I wanted to be a soldier from the age of five. Did you? Uh, yeah, and I consider myself very fortunate to be able to to do that. I've got mates who I bump into now from from college who only now are working out what they wanted to do back then. Yeah, and yeah. of course, for some it's too late. So I wanted to be a soldier. I went off. I did it. 
Um, and, and now I'm using the skills that I gathered there to do something else now. Did you, um, all your education, was it all geared towards becoming an officer in the British Army? Yeah, from A-level onwards it was. Yeah, obviously GCSEs, yeah. you've got to do them. But the A-levels were chosen in order to get an engineering degree. And the engineering degree was in order to join the branch of the army that I first joined. See, for as long as I can remember, my 14-year-old son has always said that he wants to join the police force. And everything that he's doing now, I mean, he's, I think they do SATs at year 9 or 10. But everything, and then it's GCSEs at year 11. But everything he's doing is geared towards him being a police officer he wants to that's what he wants to do and that's what he's always wanted to do since the moment he could speak he wanted to become a police officer so let's hope let's have fingers crossed it happens Uh, what's the worst job that you could ever do and why you know part of my degree was to go off for a year and and work in industry and some of the guys i was working with there are still rocking up at that same office doing the same job wearing the same tie going to the same pub on friday lunchtime so it would be a job that was doing the same thing day in, day out, no flexibility uh, and not in contact with people. I love hearing people's stories. I love interacting with people. Um, I love getting the best from people. There was a, a, an old lady who worked probably 10 metres away from my desk where I'm sat now. And she'd come to the same office, sat in the same chair and bizarrely wore the same type of clothes <laughs> because we've got photos of her in the 90s. But she's done it for 28 years and she only retired in December. But she always used to come to work in a black cardigan. She always sat in the same desk. And before January this year, the same carpet was in the building from when the day that she started, because we own this building that we're in now. So the same carpet was there. So she had actually worn out the carpet in exactly the same spot over and over again for 28 years. Yeah, it was all her. I'm not knocking it. I'm not knocking that because we need continuity in in certain appointments and we need that corporate memory and, and corporate knowledge. So I'm not knocking it at all. It's just not for me. Yeah, yeah, no, I get that. I get that. Uh, and then finally, who's the leader that you look up to the most? I get asked this a lot in the leadership domain, you know, uh, and my normal answer, I'm not going to give you the normal one, but I'll tell you what it is anyway. The, the normal one is I don't really look up to any particular leader or I don't role model a leader. Yeah. Because I like to take little bits of what I like of people and try and do more of that myself. But role modeling wasn't the question. It was who do I look up to? And, and there's a, a military guy called David Sterling who founded the SAS. And I don't look up to him because of that. I look up to him because he was a contrarian thinker. He stepped outside of the box, viewed things through a different lens and came up with a different solution that was incredibly successful. Yeah. Moreover than that, he allowed his team to suggest things to him, ways of doing things in a time when that would have been seen in any other walk of life as just being grossly insubordinate. Especially in the military. Incredibly, incredibly strong results. You know, the, the SAS is world famous for, for yeah. what it achieves. Um, so, and he was the founding father of it. Am I right so in thinking it was... Him. Sorry, Paul. Am I right in thinking it was the 40s or 50s that he... Was it the 50s? It was in the SAS? In the 40s. The 40s, yeah. And it was mainly in the African region. Am I right? It, yeah, African desert. Yeah. Uh, where, where it started. Um, yeah. And then the SAS obviously grew significantly once their tactics had been proved as successful and they had an awful lot of interaction with these um, SOE in, in Italy and in mainland Europe as well. So, you know, and, and we've seen them since then, certainly since 1980 and the um, Iranian embassy siege. Oh, yeah, definitely. We've, we've seen them, we've known about them. But it, it was the founding father that I look up to because he, he applauded different ways of thinking and implied it. Um, employed that himself if it was in the 40s if you then look at the 1940s and look at the army culture of that time that's why it's so radical 
because yeah. it, it was a you do this, you go over that trench, you. Well, look at society. Society was very industrial, very hierarchical. You had a line manager, you had a workshop manager, you had a shop floor manager. It was very, very hierarchical. And if you spoke yeah. out of turn, that was insubordinate and you lost your job. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was a modern thinker in an older time. Where can people find more information about you, Paul? Well, I, they can follow me on most of the platforms. So on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at selflessleader1, or they can follow me directly on LinkedIn or follow my group, which is Selfless Leadership Group. And we're, we're going to launch that new name formally in, in January, but we're, we're starting to populate social media as Selfless Leadership Group or follow the hashtag Selfless Leadership. Nice.